Welcome back to the Chelsea Overseas Podcast, episode 16. This week, we'll be recapping the games against Fulham and Crystal Palace, and we'll be previewing the clash against another Premier League giant that's also been struggling, Liverpool Football Club. First, let's talk about the Fulham game. A disappointing loss, but where did it go wrong for Chelsea defensively throughout this match? Yeah, well, I think defensively, Chelsea had some real real problems here, and they looked vulnerable throughout the match. Obviously, the red card didn't help that in the second half, uh, but even from from the first half, uh, they looked vulnerable. And I think when, when you look at the two systems and the way both teams set up, you had Chelsea went into a 3-5-2, um, which looked more like a 5-3-2, obviously, defensively, whereas Fulham were in a 4-2-3-1. And, you know, a lot of times where you can get in a 4-2-3-1 is you, you got, like, natural overloads on both sides. So for Fulham, you had... Willian and Robinson on the left, which was very threatening, and then Bobby Decord over Reed and uh, Kenny Tete on the right. So you had those natural overloads, and I, I think Chelsea's system 5-3-2 was a bit narrow. Uh, and I mean, if you actually go back to to the FA Cup game against City, um, the yeah, the FA Cup game against City, and you look at I remember we talked a bit about the overloads that City were able to find and they had tweaked their system a little bit to hurt Chelsea that way. And it just hurt Chelsea again here, I felt like, because you you had those overloads for Fulham in the wide area. And what you had for Chelsea is because you had two forwards up top, the midfield, the three in midfield for Chelsea were tasked with helping in those wider areas and helping those full backs out, those wing backs out to make sure that they weren't getting isolated in those uh, 2v1 situations. But, you know, when your opposition switches the play from, from one flank to the other pretty quickly, you know, that midfielder has, a, has quite the distance to go and help out, right? Because they're trying to, stay narrow and help inside to not allow the opposition to play through the lines. So then they have to go out and help out in the wider area when the when the play gets switched. And Fulham's fullbacks were pushing forward um, to help create those 2v1 situations. That is something that I think Marco Silva saw. And I think that's what tactically kind of hurt Chelsea. I mean, look at the second goal, right? And you look at uh, Carlos Vinicius' goal and the ball that's played in, how difficult it is for for uh, Mateo Kovacic to get over and close that player down, right, and stop him from playing that cross. And that happened on numerous occasions before that, right? So there were warning signs there too, where Fulham moved moved the ball from one side to the other, and just Chelsea's midfield was struggling to close down in the wider area quickly enough to stop a cross from coming in. Uh, and we saw in the first goal, William was able to get 1v1 with, with Aspilicueta too. And, and, and he caused him problems there. So, yeah, I think that was a problem in the wider areas. I also think just it, it was kind of a poor defensive performance at times individually from Chelsea. Uh, you know, Aspilicueta, I, I think, didn't do enough against William in that one-on-one situation on that first goal. I think he's got he's to do everything he can to show Willian onto his right uh, onto his left foot sorry he knows Willian they played together uh, for so long so I think Aspie's got to do a bit better there I felt Chalaba and Koulibaly were quite poor in this match uh, defensively but also in terms of playing out from the back I think that was a problem for Chelsea at times too and listen I mean 
as good as Lewis Hall's been. You know, he's not he's not a natural fullback. So the one-on-one defending is always going to be a bit difficult at times. And there were times where Deckardova Reed uh, caused him a few problems there. Albeit, I think Hall did did play quite well. Uh, but you know, again, he's not a natural. Uh, left back so yeah I think I think defensively there were kind of issues all over the place for Chelsea uh, and definitely the red card doesn't help yeah speaking of the red card it was Joel Felix's Chelsea debut Premier League debut in fact I was excited for this guy when Chelsea announced alone but I think he played exceptionally well I think he was the best player on that pitch for Chelsea until that red card. But I want to know your opinions on how good Joao Felix was because I think Chelsea are going to miss him for a while. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I completely agree. I think he was the best player on the pitch up until that red card moment. And it's too bad because he was on his way to a man of the match performance, which which was really too bad. And he looked, you know, I just, I think for Chelsea fans, you can't think of over re- recent history, a lot of times where, uh, a newly signed player has come in and has just looked the part right away, right? Like, how many times have we spoke about adapting and needing time, you know, and then for some players uh, having to eventually move on? Uh, but Joao Felix looks seriously good and looks up for the Premier League. And credit to Potter for playing him in that sort of second striker role because that, that seriously does look his best role because he was, he was in a free role. He was coming deeper to pick the ball up, um, but also would run beyond Kai Havertz too when he had the opportunity. But he would also drift into wide areas. We saw you know, some of the opening moments in the match were him you know, picking up the ball between the lines and then getting his body between a midfielder and the ball, drawing a foul. Or when he went out to that wide, to the right-hand side and nutmegging a Fulham defender on his way to creating a clear goal-scoring opportunity for Havertz and then Hall on the second opportunity on that. But immediately he looked outstanding. He looked the best player on the field. And just his technical ability in terms of, I think, uh, his touches and his ability to manipulate the ball in tight spaces and beat beat defenders one-on-one. Yeah, he's got the sort of spatial awareness too, playing in that second striker role. So I think technically looks outstanding. And, it, and everything that Chelsea were doing well going forward was through him. Him and Kai Havertz in that double striker, the two up top, they looked really good together. And I think Felix was was outstanding and it's just yeah it's just too bad about the red card um I mean uh, you know he I, he knows once he makes that challenge you could see he immediately puts his hand up he knows it's a poor challenge um yeah it, it's just really unfortunate that that happened that's that's the moment Chelsea are in right now and I I really hope that He's obviously suspended for three games, so he was suspended for Palace, he'll be suspended for Liverpool, and then our reverse fixture against Fulham. Uh, But he'll be back after that, I believe, against West Ham. Yeah, West Ham. So, I mean, he looks the part, so I can't wait to see more of him. Yeah, I mean, he looked incredible on the pitch. You know, as you mentioned, everything in the attack kind of flowed through João Felix and Kai Havertz. But João Felix, as you've mentioned, new player slotted into the team as if he was been here for a while you know and very very few times you'll see that even 
on like my Manchester City, for example, Erling Haaland being obviously the most recent example, but then there are a lot of times where the players take a long time to maybe adjust to the new system and all of that. But, you know, João Felix, you know, not fitting in with Atletico coming into Chelsea almost feels like he's been alone at Atletico and not Chelsea, you know, it's... It was a little bit of an interesting one. But speaking of players going down, Joao Felix out with a suspension. Joao Felix out with a suspension. But now Dennis Sakaria is down with another injury. What effects did that have on the game? And how do you think it will affect Chelsea over the next couple of months? Yeah, well, I think for for Dennis Sakaria, like, I, I think he was playing pretty well in this match. And again, we talk about physical presence that he adds which Chelsea lack uh so he's a completely different profile to to the other players uh in Chelsea's midfield and I think he's really helped build from building out from the back also uh and we talked we spoke about the the work he was doing against Manchester City specifically in the Premier League game in terms of helping Chelsea play out from the back and you know, we saw that at times here and just his, his physical presence in that midfield area helps us uh, retain possession and find those transitional moments. So that's what you miss when he's not there. So I think, again, that's just, this is where Chelsea are at right now. Like you, Chelsea had a little bit of a, a difficult first half because there were problems defensively, but they did a lot of good things going forward. You know, we talked about uh, Jao Felix, but Lewis Hall was positive on the left. You know, Felix and Havertz both had some opportunities. They didn't take their chances. You start the second half, you get a goal on a set piece. It was a great ball in uh, from Mason Mount. So you get you get your goal on a set piece. You're back into the game, and uh, you you know the, you could hear the Chelsea fans singing. But you know, then Felix takes the red card, and then minutes later, Zakaria's down injured. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I think Felix and Zakaria were two of Chelsea's best players in in this match. Uh, Thiago Silva was was very good too, but Zakaria, Felix were very good. And then, you know, one gets a red card, one gets injured. And now our midfield lacks that midfield presence again. Midfield, sorry, lacks the physical presence again. So, you know, that's, it's, it's extremely unfortunate. And, you know, Potter must be extremely frustrated. I think everyone's extremely frustrated. Potter said he's going to be out a month, which sucks, obviously. Pretty much sums up Chelsea's season, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, it does. Honestly, it does. Like, every, you just feel that when a player's playing well or something's going right, someone's going to get injured, right? A lot of times when Reese James has been playing well this year, injured. Uh, or Ben Chilwell or Wesley Fofana or, you know, N'Golo Kante. Or is Dennis Zakaria now? Like it, it, there, there's, there's been no, no luck this year in that respect. They can't catch a break, right? But that will do it for the game against Fulham. But a little bit more of a positive result: one nil victory against Crystal Palace. Let's recap that game. How were Chelsea able to play through Crystal Palace's defensive shape? Yeah. So for me, I think. Chelsea did a really good job uh, of playing through that shape. I think I think Gallagher was really key in this match. And so what you had, Chelsea were in uh, 4-2-3-1 with Gallagher in the midfield pivot with Jorginho. Ziyech was on the right and um, Havertz was up top. So a lot, a lot of times for, 
for Chelsea. What you had was a little overload that they were able to find on the right. And if you go back and watch the highlights for this game, if you missed this game, you go back and watch the highlights, you're going to see a lot of moments where Chelsea create chances on that right-hand side. But particularly, you see runs into space behind Tyreek Mitchell, the left back for Crystal Palace. So between Mark Gahey and Tyreek Mitchell. So it's these little 3v2s that Chelsea were able to find with Gallagher, Ziyech, and then Mason Mount also just drifting into that area and making some of those runs too, right? And and you had Chalaba at right back. So what you'd get is Eze, who was playing on the left for Crystal Palace, would, would be concerned about Chalaba. You'd have Tyreek Mitchell, who was concerned about um, Hakim Ziyech. And that midfield pivot of Crystal Palace was watching Mason Mount and Carney Chukwameka. Both of them were in a bit more of an inside position, whereas Hakim Ziyech was wide, very wide. You know, Lewis Hall was creating the width on the other flank. So what Chelsea were able to find was just moments where Gallagher would be able to kind of be the spare man. And so when the ball would come out to Ziyech, he would make that run behind Tyreek Mitchell. And because the midfield pivot of Crystal Palace were pretty much concerned about Chuck Omeka and Mason Mount, it was it was very difficult for them to to pick up the runs of Gallagher. So Mark Gahey would often have to step all the way out of position and go that distance and have to try to close him down. But that's, you know, you're in a back four, right? You're not in a back three as a center back, so you, you got a bit more of a distance to go. So Chelsea were able to find moments moments there. And because Jorginho was was sitting in front of the back line, that just gave Gallagher a bit more of a freedom to go and make those runs, especially because, too, Chalaba wasn't getting far forward. He was he was uh, letting Ziyech create the width and stay high on the right. So Chelsea were able to find those moments on the right-hand side, uh, particularly with Connor Gallagher, which allowed him, and when you get into that area, then you can create the cutback opportunities. We saw cutbacks, we saw opportunities where Chelsea could try to uh, stand the ball up back to the back post, try to find Kai Havertz. It was just a lot of the times about the decision-making in the attacking third, the choice of cross or pass, uh, and uh, the, the finish at times. But Chelsea created a, a lot of opportunities that way. And, you know, so there was that, which I think was good for Chelsea. But um, what obviously broke the deadlock was the uh, corner situation. So, you know, what Chelsea found on the corners was, and, and so the corner was in the second half that Kai Havertz scored on. But in the first half, if you, if you go back, uh, it, it, it happened in the first half, the same situation where, where Ziyech would go over to, to come short and him and Gallagher would play a low one-two and then they'd play a ball into the box. They'd find a little 2v1. Palace would only bring one player out. And then, so Chelsea would bring a second one out to find a little... Uh, 2v1 and then play a ball into the box and Palace never really adapted to it and and it was funny because after the goal Chelsea scored the goal and then you see Potter and his assistant smiling like like yeah like that worked you know like it's I'm sure at halftime there was maybe maybe they said you know this is something that worked in the first half we didn't get a goal out of it but you know let's try it again in the second half uh, because if Palace don't adapt to it we've got you know, Ziyech's left foot, we know what he can deliver. So that uh, that was really good from Chelsea uh, to recognize that. So, 
Yeah, I think Chelsea created a lot of good situations. Could they have scored more? Yes, but I mean, that's the that's the way Chelsea are right now. Typical Chelsea, I think. It's hard it's tough to say, but they always, you know, kind of had a problem closing out games and they probably deserve more, but 1-0 will take the victory, you know. At this point with Chelsea's current state, I think you guys would honestly take anything. We'll take 3 points honestly. But talking about the defensive shape of Chelsea now, do you think they deserved a clean sheet or do you think maybe Palace deserved to maybe score a goal? Maybe a more fair... Like, I think Chelsea deserved to win the game, just about. Like, I think they were the better team. Um, And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but we're not asking for perfect right now, right? We know the injury situation. Like, you you have to cut Chelsea a bit of slack there and and understand that it's not going to be perfect right now. So we have to put everything into the proper context too. Uh, But, you know, it was good. I think Chelsea were good enough to win. I think maybe a a bit, like uh, maybe a 2-1 would have been a bit, uh, because I think Chelsea created enough enough to have a second goal. And I think Palace probably created enough to score in terms of they caused Chelsea a few problems on set pieces, which we know, again, are a problem uh, for Chelsea this season. And there were a few chances here uh, on a corner and on various set pieces where Kepa had to come up big. Uh, And I think in the first half, there were a few situations where... So Elise was on the right for Crystal Palace in their 4-2-3-1. So that matched him up with Lewis Hall. Uh, And that was something that he... Elise was able to get a little bit of joy there. Uh, But eventually, I think Carney Chukwameka did a good job of helping Hall out in the second half so but again listen it's 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 not going to be perfect right like Chelsea had to fight and scrape a bit at the end to close out the game but it's not going to be perfect like ultimately you know the performance given everything that's going on was pretty good and uh the fact that they got three points I think is huge and Chelsea just desperately needed those three points that's what it means more than anything else Potter and his staff really, really needed those three points, and Chelsea needed it just for a big confidence booster. Incredible performance, in my opinion, from Kepa. I think he was he came up real big for Chelsea this match, and you know we mentioned Palace maybe deserving to score a goal, and Chelsea deserving to score two, maybe even three, with the amount of chances they created. Kepa being able to keep the clean sheet for Chelsea, and a very crucial three points. Because now it gets iffy because Chelsea, you know, we expect them to be like a big club. They're like part of like the quote-unquote big six. But now they're kind of struggling in the Premier League. They're sitting 10th just behind Liverpool on goal differential. And you take a look at maybe some other clubs ahead of them in the table. You have Newcastle, you have like Fulham, Brighton, Brentford. So do you think, what should Chelsea's goal be this season? Because I think, Coming into the season, a lot of Chelsea fans or even even City fans or even maybe some other neutrals might have thought, okay, Chelsea, you know, we know Chelsea, they should probably be like a top four team. But now, now after getting the three points against Palace, is the goal to finish in the top six and qualify for the Europa League? What's the goal now? Yeah, well, one more thing I'd like to mention is about Chelsea's defense against Palace actually was Benoit Badiashile in terms of, I thought he was exceptional on his debut. Very calm, composed, playing out from the back. That really stood out. Um, and especially with that left foot, I think he's going to be a real asset for Graham Potter. 
and also didn't, you know, I, I remember speaking about it. And so I've read a lot about how aggressive he is and stepping out from the back suits a team who, who likes to pray, likes to press higher up the pitch. And, and that's good for him to have in his game. Uh, but what I felt was impressive is he didn't, he didn't overcommit at times, didn't rush into challenges a lot. Um, he was very, very calm. You know, I, I think that's something when we compare to Kalidu Kulabali, I think from the get-go this year, there, there have been times where he's stepped in when he really shouldn't have uh, in that back line. And I think Benoit in this first game against Pal- Palace understood the, the moments where he needed to step in and close someone down and when he didn't have to. So he was very, very calm and composed. And I think Thiago Silva enjoyed having Benoit beside him. So just look for that. That could be a really good potential center-back partnership for the rest of the season. Because another thing, you you when you see Barry Ashiel, I mean, the height on him, uh, he looks massive, right? So that's something hopefully which can help with set pieces. There were a few moments uh, towards the end, he won a few key headers uh, to help Chelsea close out the game. So, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that this will be uh, a very good signing for Chelsea and definitely promising signs from the first match. Uh, in terms of what Chelsea's goals should be, you know, I think top four is 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 unrealistic, I'd say, given the injuries, and I think we can all agree on that now. But I think top six is is a realistic aim. I, I think it's just all dependent on injuries. Like if if Reese James, when he comes back and stay fit, I think we automatically have a, a very very good opportunity to finish in the top six, especially with Liverpool having a lot of problems like we are so yeah and 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 I think it's a lot up to the new signings too to make a real impact right Felix made an impact before his red card so when he returns we're gonna need to see more of that Mudrick let's see what he can bring but Ishiel look good hopefully he can continue that um, but I, I, I think top six is where Chelsea should set their goal now I completely agree with you I think top four is super unrealistic because in my opinion top four is going to be city arsenal united and maybe spurs maybe newcastle newcastle looking very strong this season but fifth six is up for grabs still in my opinion i think chelsea if they maybe have less injuries or maybe players from their injuries come back it really depends on as you said the medical team and the injuries and the players hopefully coming back for maybe a late sprint at the end of the season and yeah, uh, going back to Badia Shil for a little bit, he's around six foot four, six foot five, I believe, which is almost two meters. So he's a giant. Hopefully, he'll help Chelsea out on the set pieces, as you mentioned. Before re- previewing the Liverpool game, let's talk about some transfer news. Obviously, the biggest one being Chelsea hijacking the Mudrik deal from Arsenal, their London rivals. What kind of player is he? Because we've seen we've seen Ukrainian players at Chelsea before. Yeah, so, yeah, Andrei Shevchenko, right? So, yeah, actually, I didn't think about that. That's a, that's a good point. But um, for Mudrik, um, I mean, I think he's an out-and-out winger. Uh, from what I've seen, I, I, 
I think he's very direct. He's extremely quick. He's going to be really useful in transition. But he's someone who wants to stay in a wider area and run at a fullback, wants to get one-on-one. And and he thrives on those 1v1 situations, right? I don't think he's the type of sort of inside winger. He's more of an out-and-out sort of wide player uh, that's, that's going to look to torment a fullback. So, yeah, and I, th- I think with him... He can go both ways. He can use both feet. I think that's so key for a winger these days. Uh, you got to be able to to use your weak foot or else fullbacks can find you quite predictable. So I think Mudrick's got that in his game too. Um, in terms of like goal-creating actions uh, in the attacking third, I mean, you look at his, his stats in the Champions League, five goal contributions in six games. Uh, so he's someone that's been quite lethal in front of goal too, even in the uh, Ukrainian league. I mean, it's a really, really exciting player. I I saw that also his top speed in the Champions League, he recorded the top speed, 36.6 kilometers an hour. I mean, I, I hope that just a lightning quick pace on this guy just sets Stamford Bridge on fire because he looks such an exciting player. And that, I think, I think, you know, I've been encouraged by the profile of player that Chelsea's ownerships are, Chelsea's ownership is going for because Mudrick is the type of player that I think Chelsea need. I mean, you, I think Chelsea lack of a very direct uh, wide player who's exceptional in those 1v1 situations. I think they miss that. And I think Mudrick is going to bring that to Chelsea. And I think that's why... Chelsea have paid so much to sign him. Now, on the financial part of it, so the fee for Mudrick is, so 62 million pounds fixed, but there's around 26 million pounds of add-ons. So, and that's rumored to be based on if he, if Chelsea win Premier League and uh, or Champions League. So they're winning titles. So, Take that into consideration, but here's the key, and that is his wage, which is only £97,000 per week, right? And that's where Chelsea just got ahead of Arsenal in the race, because Arsenal were offering only about £10,000, and that's where Chelsea beat Arsenal uh, to it. The reason why Chelsea offered that, if you look at Chelsea's wage bill, 97,000 pounds is nothing compared to what other players are being paid. Loftus-Cheek is being paid 150,000 pounds a week. Hudson-Odoi, 120,000 pounds a week. So, and then you can imagine what Koulibaly, what Sterling are on, these experienced players, right? People like Ziyech, etc., that isn't much for for Chelsea's wage bill. That's on the lower end, the the very lower end. So it, it is it's part of a plan for Chelsea's ownership to bring down their overall wage bill. That's what Chelsea's ownership want to do. And that's why they're handing out long-term contracts. You're signing younger players and you're giving them longer contracts. Uh, and obviously those players, like Mudrick, after a few years, can say, listen, I'm playing exceptional. I'm one of the most important players at this club. I deserve a, a raise, basically. But 
he starts at 97,000 pounds a week. And then he has the long-term contract, which is rumored to be up until even 2031. So Badia Shio got a long-term contract. Uh, Madueke, who we'll talk about long-term contract, right? Uh, that's what Chelsea are, are looking to do. And Kungu's a longer-term deal too when, when he comes to Chelsea. So that's why. So if you're questioning financial fair play here for Chelsea and how they're, they're going to get around that, they're reducing their overall wage bill, right? To open up more uh, finances to then use for transfers for players to bring in, right? So, uh, you know, Abramovich had a lot of big contracts on Chelsea's wage bill. The ownership's trying to clean that up and lower it significantly to help them with FFP. And then it just opens up a bit more of a wiggle room for transfers. Chelsea's owner doing this because the squad needs a massive rebuild, obviously. But once that's done and all these long-term contracts are in place, then you're not, you're not spending this crazy amount every year, right? So you're not risking that financial fair play. And a lot of these, again, a lot of these deals that are being made are with add-ons, with, or they're split across multiple seasons if Chelsea Chelsea's not paying this whole transfer fee in one year it's split across multiple seasons so that's how Chelsea are getting around FF, FFP when you look at how Chelsea's ownerships are are trying to go about things uh, you can see that there's nothing honestly there's nothing to worry about for Chelsea fans they they aren't going to run into problems with FFP with with the way they're going about their business so that that is a really really positive uh thing for chelsea so that's everything with the mudrick deal but it's it's so exciting right and it's you know it's very positive all right so we talked about mudrick we talked about how chelsea are getting around ffp regulations but we do have some more news about this player named nani madueke any updates on him regarding transfers to Chelsea? And Well, yeah, according to Fabrizio Romano, it's here we go. So, you know, it's basically a done deal. In and around 35 million euros to 40 million euros. Uh, in and around that transfer fee. Right-sided winger, left foot. Someone, again, quick, very good 1v1. Um, and and that just seems that profile that Chelsea have been looking for. I remember when we were talking about Rafael Leal, because I like Rafael Leal. And uh, he's he's uh, a very direct 1v1 winger. It's that sort of profile that Chelsea have gone for. And it's clearly a weakness in their, in their squad. So you can completely understand why uh, they've gone that way, uh, the ownership. And I'm, I'm happy they've gone that way. But again, like they've got Mudrick on the left-hand side, right, with his right foot. And now they've gone, they've looked at the right-hand side. What this does mean, however, with Madueke is that I think definitely Pulisic makes way in the summer. Maybe you keep Sterling on the left and then you could have Ziyech on the right as, and you could do it that way. Uh, but definitely out of those three players, one of them 100% makes way. And it's probably going to be I think it's going to be Christian Pulisic. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you there, Christian Pulisic. Yeah, so, yeah, that that's what Chelsea are, uh, again, the owners have, have looked at in terms of the profile of these players. Uh, in terms of, of Madueke, the concern I'll say is the injuries. 
Um, he has had problems with injuries. So, again, that's the last thing Chelsea need right now. I mean, the, la- the, the latest injury he had wasn't directly related to a previous concern. So I hope that, you know, everything will be okay in that respect. Once he fully recovers, he'll be good. Uh, but that's, that's the only thing that I think we're all a bit worried about. Because I think the profile of the, pl- of the player is, is very good. And I think we'll all uh, be happy with that. But the injuries, I mean, uh, I just, I, I think every Chelsea fan, when they hear injuries, they're just cringing a bit right now. So we just pray that, that that'll be okay with this player. Right. That'll do it for transfer news for Chelsea for now. But now we must preview the Premier League game against another Premier League giant who has kind of fallen this season, Liverpool. You know, there's a little bit of a conspiracy theory. You know, Jurgen Klopp, seventh year with the club, will always flop. But I think Liverpool has been pretty unlucky this season as well. So why do you think Liverpool are so keen on buying a midfielder during this January window? And do you think the midfield is Liverpool's biggest need? And do you think Chelsea could hurt them there? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think it is. And I... I think they're right on wanting to wanting to prioritize getting a midfielder and spending a good amount of money there. And why I say that is I think they've looked at it. And basically, I mean, look at Liverpool's midfield. You have either a lot of more number 10s players that like to play further up the pitch, like a Curtis Jones, a Harvey Elliott, um, Naby Keita, uh, or you see sixes, basically. So Fabinho... Uh, Tiago's not someone who's going to play as a single six, but he'll, he's best probably suited in either a midfield pivot or if he does kind of play on the left of a midfield three, he's going to affect the game from deeper, right? He's more of a six. He's playing in positions more of a six than an eight, right? So I see him more of a six than anything. So, And then you have Basetic also, who's more of a six. So you really don't... I mean, Henderson is the real box-to-box player, right? But he's aged, and I, I don't think he's at the level he's been at in previous years. I mean, they clearly lack a number eight, I would say. And, you know, I think that's why they're so keen on Jude Bellingham. And I, I think rightly so. Uh, because, you know, I think... A, you know, they've taken so many risks over the years, Liverpool, with the way that they play. I think they've taken more risks than City ever had, right? Because of the way that they've pressed higher up the pitch, the amount of bodies they've committed forward, and the way that those fullbacks have played. And they've been, they've been given license by Klopp to press. And that's why Klopp says, you know, when when Trent when Trent isn't isn't there defensively and he's higher up the pitch and people ask why is why is he higher up the pitch Klopp says yeah but I tell him to do that right so he gives his fullbacks real license to get forward and you know those center backs especially the one who's who's on the right of that partnership really has to cover their fullback because Trent's given that license so they play with real risk Liverpool Right, and they they play to win the ball higher up the pitch, and then quickly transition from there, and then get in behind you really quickly. Uh, but it's, I think it's difficult to have a lot of success in that system without that box to box player that's gonna cover a lot of ground, win a lot of challenges, 
start those transitions and then get themselves into the attacking third, right? In that midfield for Liverpool, they really lack a profile in there. And I, I, I think that's, that's hurt them uh, this year because, you know, a lot of people are talking about their defensive issues and picking on the back line, picking on Trent, picking on Van Dijk at times even. Pick, everyone's been picked on at this point in the Liverpool back line, Right. Now, I think they could have done better in, in moments individually, and Trent's admitted he could do better at times. But I think it's unfair to completely blame the back line without looking at the midfield and saying, you know what, how many times when the opposition is playing up from the back, how many times are they playing through the lines in comparison to previous years? I would say this year it's a lot more. In previous years, 95% of the time when Liverpool press high, they win the ball back. Now, when they press high, they're taking, it, it looks like a real, real, real risk. It's always been a risk, but now it looks, they look very vulnerable. And I think the midfield has a big, bar, has a big part to play in that. And that's why they've, they've recognized that a midfielder, specifically Jude Bellingham, would be of use for Liverpool. So, yeah, that, that's why if you see... Liverpool rumored with so many midfielders or just Jude Bellingham. Um, you know, I think that's why. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned Trent, you know, playing a lot more like a winger or a midfielder almost at this point, not really playing defensively. With that being said, do you think Modric starts this match? But if he does, I think he could cause some serious problems for Trent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he does start this match. I mean, if Felix can start literally like a day after signing for Chelsea, not even. Uh, if he can start, uh, then why not Mudrick, right? He's had a full week of training. Uh, well, not a full week of training, but he's had days of training. Um, so that'll help. And uh, listen, you know, Trent hasn't been at his best this year. We know that defensively in those 1v1 situations it isn't that's not the best part of his game and so I really hope this can be a springboard for Mudrick a good first start for him and then he's something he could build on so really yes I think I think for Chelsea you want to you want to isolate Mudrick with Trent as much as possible right and 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 give Mudrick every opportunity to cause problems so I do think it's something Chelsea should really look at. I think overall, like I said, Liverpool have really struggled. Like Brighton, in terms of playing out from the back against Liverpool, tore right through them. I mean, Levi Colwell, by the way, how about that? That performance against Liverpool, that was exceptional. Um, so hopefully Badia Shield can can give us uh, something there in terms of... And we know Thiago's good playing off in the back too, but uh, with that left foot on that left side for Badia Shield, if he can give us uh, those moments where he can maybe hit Mudrick over the top behind Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, that's something that definitely Chelsea could look for. So, and definitely looking to play through that midfield area too, because that, that has been a, a little bit of a weakness uh, for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, two teams that are struggling, two teams that have their own concerns um, with injuries. You know, Liverpool even have their own ownership speculations. Whoever wins here, especially because Tottenham lost uh, to, to Manchester City. Crazy game, by the way. I was watching the whole thing. My goodness, what a game. Yeah, what a game. What a game. What a comeback. But Spurs lost that game, so both these two teams have a game in hand. 
Or actually, Liverpool would have two games in hand. So even more incentive for them. But yeah, both like Chelsea and Liverpool, definitely both of them will be looking at at least finishing in the top six. And looking at Tottenham, right? Chelsea are only five points behind Tottenham. They have a game in hand. I, I don't. I think Tottenham can be caught if Reese James comes back and he's healthy. Why can't Tottenham be caught, right? Or at least why can't we finish very close to them? I, I think the top four are out of the question for Chelsea. The teams in the top four, but everyone below fourth, I think. I think Chelsea can catch. The Spurs have have problems of their own, so I think I think Chelsea can catch them. So whoever wins this is is gonna get a real boost if there is a winner, obviously. Hopefully that's Chelsea. Yeah, in my opinion, if you're a Liverpool fan or a Chelsea fan, you need to look at this game as a must-win for either team to really realistically stay in the race for European football. And yeah, Liverpool having two games in hand, Tottenham having played 20 games this season, Liverpool having played 18, and Chelsea, this one will be their 20th game this season. So realistically, Chelsea need this win more than Liverpool do, but hopefully... Chelsea, the Blues can get a good result this match. I I think it's going to be quite tightly contested. Both teams are honestly kind of struggling right now. I'd be kind of disappointed if it was a draw. I'd hope that one team one team beats the other. Hopefully that's Chelsea. But if it's a draw, I'm kind of I'm kind of gutted. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping for a Chelsea win. Really, really hoping. So it would be big for Potter to get this match. I think Chelsea would move up a few places in the table and all of a sudden you'd look at Tottenham and you'd think, you know what? We're not that far from fifth. Yep, you could hunt them down. And fifth is... It looks it looks unrealistic when you look maybe just at the, stand, like the standings right now. Chelsea sitting at 10th right now. But when you look at the point gap and suddenly you think to yourself, top five is still very doable for this Chelsea squad. That'll do it for us this week. A bit of a long episode, but thank you guys for joining us. We will be back next week to recap the match against Liverpool, and we'll be previewing a Premier League match a little bit later, but it'll be against Fulham in February. All right, thank you for listening. Go Chelsea.